Yesterday, December 14th, the coon hunting community lost a legend, Mr. Jarvis Umphers. Mr. Jarvis was the founder of PKC, and he was just so much to the coon hunting community. Not only that, just outside of it. I mean, a person can only wish to have as much of an impact and make as many friends as he did in, the, in his life. I never met Mr. Jarvis personally. I talked to him on the phone a couple of times. He just seemed like one of those people that words can't even really describe it. You know, just the outstanding person. And people that knew him, you know, they would tell you that in a heartbeat. Mr. Jarvis fell ill about two months ago, but I mean, I'm talking about the day it happened. Me and Mr. Eddie had lined up to do an interview with him and capture his story and to be able to tell it to everybody. We never got to do that because that was the day that he fell ill. But we recorded an intro before that with Mr. Eddie telling a little bit about Mr. Jarvis and how he met him and sharing kind of his story with him. I kind of want to put that in the beginning of this as a tribute to Mr. Jarvis Umphers, the founder of PKC and the man that impacted so many people's lives and touched so many people. My thoughts, prayers, and deepest condolences go out to Mr. Jarvis's family. And here's a tribute from Coon Hunting University to Mr. Jarvis Umphers. Today we're going to be doing something a little different on the Coon Hunting University podcast. I'm joined by a co-host, Mr. Eddie Simmons, whom you heard in episode three. It's great to have Mr. Eddie here to help me conduct this interview. Mr. Eddie, please tell the listeners whom we have the pleasure of interviewing today. Yes, Tyler. We uh, do have a very, very special guest at the university today. He is a legend in the sport of competition coon hunting. He is the founder and original owner of the Professional Kennel Club, he is the one and the only Mr. Jarvis Sumpers. Yes, sir. And I feel so honored to be given the opportunity to conduct this interview. And one reason that I asked Mr. Eddie to conduct this interview, I really want this to be a personable interview. And Mr. Eddie and Mr. Jarvis have known each other for a long time. And I really feel like it'll bring that connection. And I think the listeners are going to feel that in this interview. And that's what I really want. And that's why I asked him to come help me. I think it's going to be awesome. So before we get started, I'm going to ask Mr. Eddie one question. And then we'll get Mr. Jarvis on the line. Mr. Eddie, how did you and Mr. Jarvis meet? And what has he meant to you? Well, I'll tell you, uh, it seems like just a short few years ago. But the truth is, it was around 1975. I was at my first uh, championship hunt, and that would be the Dixie National Championship in Jackson, Mississippi. It was the largest hunt I'd been to, and matter of fact, it's the only time I'd been away from the local hunts here on the coast, and uh, I enjoyed every minute of it. Well, as the event was coming to an end, uh, back then, people hung around to see who won what and congratulated them, and... Uh, it was a little different back then, but anyhow, uh, as I was headed out the door, as the hunt was over, uh, a gentleman said, uh, could you help me get my truck up the hill? Well, uh, when I turned around, it was Mr. Jarvis Humpers. Now I'll tell you, uh, he had never seen a picture of me in a magazine or seen a picture of one of my dogs or read about a championship I had won, but I had each of those for him. 
I had uh, got the American Cooner every month. And uh, believe me, his name and his picture was in there quite often. So down the hill we go. And uh, we get the truck up the hill and on hard ground. And Mr. Jarvis gets out of the truck and he uh, thanks all the pushers. And uh, then he says, uh, I'll see you again. And uh, I said, thank you. But I was sure thinking, I sure hope you're right. So fast forward uh, for years, I just coon hunted. And then I joined the professional kennel club and started hunting in the events. So when that took place, I got to be around Mr. Jarvis a little more and got to spend some more time with him. And as uh, that took place, uh, we kind of formed a friendship that's grown for many years. But now don't let anyone think I'm talking about uh, I was anything special because I know of no one that has made more friends in competition coon hunting than Mr. Jarvis Umpers. And I would say that uh, for sure, me and many of those people consider that to be a blessing. Hello, and welcome to the Coon Hunting University podcast. This is your host, Tyler Duncan. And like always, class is in session. Hey y'all, so Coonhunting University is brought to you by Superior Light Company, best lights in the business. If you don't believe me, go check them out, nighthunters.com. Use coupon code CHUPODCAST at checkout and receive almost $20 off Hellcat Max. But that code is good for any Superior Light on that website and the battery tester, which works with the Hellcat Max. So go over there and check them out. My thoughts and prayers got to all the people that were devastated by the tornadoes last week you know, in Kentucky. Mississippi, Tennessee, Missouri, Illinois, and just everyone who was affected, even if you were indirectly affected, my thoughts and prayers go out to you, and that was it was devastating. People lost everything. People lost their lives. That's serious. And just know that you're in our thoughts and prayers. If there's anything that I can do to assist with this podcast or on my personal level, please let me know. If anyone knows of anything, just let me know, and I'll do whatever I can to help those people. It's truly devastating. It really is, and it's extremely sad to see. And I would encourage you to keep them in your thoughts and prayers as well. So today I'm joined by Mr. Josh Michaelis from the extremely popular or segment from Houndsman XP called The Truth. He's also been on Houndsman XP a couple times. So and we're going to get a little truth today on the Coonhunting University podcast. I think you all will enjoy it. We're going to discuss competition hunting, some of the dogs that Josh has hunted with, and I think it's just going to be really, really awesome. I think y'all will enjoy it. So without further ado, Mr. Josh Michaelis, y'all sit back and enjoy. So really, I'd like to uh, congratulate you on your new position with the Joy Dog Food. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, sir. So if you could tell the folks that are listening to this a little bit about yourself. You know I mean? I know you got the Truth Podcast, maybe something that you hadn't said on there about yourself me and jeremy both you know we're just coon hunters that's that's what we do we like tree and walkers we've been breeding tree and walkers and raising tree and walkers since i was little you know a lot like a lot of people uh our grandfather got us started uh he was a 
unique man, a unique individual. But uh, we came from pretty humble roots. You know, we didn't have a lot of money. We were pretty rural, but we always had hounds. And as long as I could remember, I mean, since I was five years old, we had tree and walker hounds. So I remember even we had one blue tick and some crossbred dogs and some odds and ends and stuff like that. But we, we, we've always had walkers ever since. Uh, first memory I have of them is around 1984, and we've had them ever since. So your grandpa's the one that kind of got you into hunting? He is. He was, uh, he was a northern man. He, his family came from uh, uh, Michigan, up around the Pelston area. And we used to go up there and, and still coon hunt back when I was I was younger too. But him and my grandmother moved down to uh, North Missouri, I believe, in wanting to say this uh, mid seventies. I'm not sure, mid seventies or so. And uh, yeah, he's he got us get started. Uh, there was a man here that I believe got him started. I'm not for sure. Al Evans, I think. I mean, he had hunted up in Michigan and and been around hounds and stuff. But I, him and Al had started hunting before I was born. And uh, I'm going to tell a funny story about that. And I, the story that most of the coon hunting families or, or coon hunting side of the family knows is my grandfather had one eye. Uh, he couldn't see very well. He had lost it in a bar fight when he was, I assume, a younger man. <laughs> and uh, him and Al Evans were hunting one night, and Al had a, had a red bone coon dog that was really good. I believe the dog's name was Bear. Now, my grandfather couldn't see well, but he could shoot. Uh, he carried a little uh, Ruger single six revolver with him, and uh, Bear was in a brush pile uh, hunting. They were hunting one night, and Bear was in a brush pile. And uh, Grandpa seen eyes, thought it was a coon, pulled his revolver out, and and killed Al's dog. Probably one of the most, and I guess it was just a, an outstanding coon dog. Coons were very high back then, you know, forty five, fifty dollars for a coon hide in late seventies, early eighties. And uh, grandfather, seeing the eyes, thought it was a coon, shot Al's dog. And uh, I think that was one of the very first hunts that they were ever on. And the fact that they stayed friends after that and until Al passed is a miracle and a testament to my grandfather probably being one of the most likable people on the planet because there's not very many people that could do that to another man's dog and then stay friends. <laughs> no, that's, that is, that's crazy, man. You was talking about being like $50 a hide, like back in your grandpa's day. Can you imagine that? I mean, that was a lot of money back then. And I mean, that's, there weren't as many raccoons then. I mean, especially where I'm at now, it's just crazy numbers. I think the last year that, that we trapped and we sold hides and, and we tried to actually make some money at it was 2013 and I averaged $22 and 50 cents. And that was a good, that was good. I had a good haul that year. We skinned over 300 coons. Yeah, but uh, you think of double that, and then you think of fifty cent gas, and you could go buy a loaf of bread for a quarter, and how cheap everything was back then. I mean, uh, there wasn't many roadkill coons that laid around the road very long. I mean, someone was going to get them and skin them and sell them because it was a they were a valuable commodity at that time. People were using that as a supplemental income, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what bought a lot of Christmas presents, you know, and a lot of a truck. A guy would wear out a truck on a trap line or wear a truck out uh, hunting with good dogs, and you could pay for that truck and get you a brand new one for seven, $8,000 at the end of the year. You know, I mean, the guys, the guys that were good at it really made a lot of money, but they didn't have the coon numbers, at least here in the Midwest, that we do now. 
if they got to them that point, which $50 back then is surely be a hundred today, uh, a man could make a lot of money. Uh, a 25, 30 raccoons a day, it would be no trouble with a good trap line. So where you're at now, you're talking about the coon population. Y'all, y'all have a really, really high coon population, huh? The highest I've, I mean, we've always had coons and even especially the last 10 years, but it's the highest I've ever seen. I've never seen anything like it, you know, just go out and, and treat 10 or 12 coons a night. You can do that pretty easily and not have, you know, have dogs that don't look good. You know, you could, our dogs could not look good and we could still treat 15 coons. You know, it, it's, it's an, um, crazy right now. Now we do have places where due to our management, we don't have hardly any, and that's good for our dogs to turn them loose in there where they got to work. But yeah, as far as just coon numbers, North Missouri has exploded in the last two years, three years. That's crazy to me to think that, you know, you could have that many coons in a place, you know, I mean, coming from Mississippi, you know I mean? I don't, I know it's mm-hmm. a lot different hunting as far as where we hunt, you know, we hunt a lot of big timber, big river bottoms, you know, but that's crazy to me to think train 15 coons in one hunt. We just got done with the La Plata 64 dog pro classic. Uh, just finished it up last night. And I think I read today there were 340 coons trees. Cool. This week. That's Wednesday through Saturday. That, that is crazy. That is just yes. mind blowing. I think I guided a couple of nights we treat five one night and six the next and we were kind of in the low end as far as casts that come in most casts were treating eight to twelve dang man that is that's that's just mind-boggling honestly that's that's yep. crazy so yeah, we got yeah it sounds like it for sure you know what are some of the hounds that you've owned or handled over the years and what are their accomplishments or y'all's accomplishments together I've owned a bunch and I've hunted with a bunch and handled a few, but I mean, I'm not a super accomplished handler. You know, I've done pretty well, but nothing, nothing crazy. I, I spoke about my grandfather earlier, God bless him, but he didn't have very, any good coon dogs. Uh, we had a night champion female called Willie's Miss Night Moves. We called her Missy. And back when a night champion was a really hard task to have, and she was a pretty good dog. And that's the only good dog I ever remember my grandfather having. And uh, after that, I started hunting for the public when I was 18 to about 21. I just hunted young dogs for a few guys, Tom Cooney out of Nebraska and Pete Swihart out of Iowa. And they would send me pups every month and I would hunt them and then I would send them back. And so I never really got into competition hunting very hard until, I mean, I went, I was a PKC member. I went to maybe a few PKC casts nothing serious until probably about nine years ago and i started nine years ago with this dog that i still have now which is duds he's won a little you know he's been in the semifinals of some pro hunts some legacy hunts state hunts things like that nothing major uh he is a ukc night champion he's been qualified for the world hunt a bunch of times but we never have taken him uh he's a real talented dog but he's just he's a head case and he doesn't travel well but he was out of a dog called Skipper's Deuce, who was my brother's. And my brother had uh, Nocturnal Skipper. And when he bought Nocturnal Skipper, that's kind of when we both started hitting the hunts pretty hard. Uh, he did it before I did, but mostly UKC. But the PKC stuff came later. So so 
he went from deuce or from skipper to deuce and then i went from deuce to duds and then duds to a pup out of him called con uh he was a super stakes quarter finalist he's won a little bit in pkc same thing as duds you know some final fours here and there nothing major and then uh i also handle dogs for jed finley i've handled the stylish bella dog who won the trader pup hunt twice and then I went to handling rain for both Finley and McCaskill. And I've been in the finals of uh, the Kinder Pro Classic, the Memphis Pro Classic. Uh, got her into the quarterfinals of the World Hunt with Jed's help. He handled her some through that too. Top 27, I think, of the world in uh, 2020. And then quarterfinalist in 2019. So uh, we've done well. Uh, some dogs that have come from my place have done well. The Delta Dawn dog came from here. Uh, we raised her, and there's been a few others, the Blinken dog and stuff like that. So, I mean, we're not we're not crazy big winners, but we've done well. We've done okay. Yeah, I'd say so, man. You've you've done your fair share for sure. I mean, some of those dogs that you've handled, you know, I mean, I've, I know I've listened to you talk on the truth about them. It's seem like they're really nice. Rain is which I, I have, Bella won me so much money. I think I won, you know, $46,000 with her or something between the Trader Puff Hunt and PKC and stuff. And she just had so much heart and she was one of my favorite dogs ever. But Rain, Rain seems like, I don't know if she's just a, she's a lot more personable dog than Bella. Bella's, Bella hated people. She hated me. She hated Jed. She hated anybody that was anywhere near her. And Rain's just a different kind of dog. But she's just, I think she's a better coon dog than Bella. I mean, I really do. She's good about having her coons. She's uh, can tree, you know, in thick coons, she looks, you know, really good. And thin coons, she can hustle out there and tree one too. So, I mean, I, I have a hard time bragging on anything I hunt because I've seen them look so bad too. You know, these dogs that, that you hunt a lot, you know, you've seen them look good and you see them do all these amazing things. But keep in mind, we've hunted these dogs since they were babies and they, they go through bad stretches. I mean, bad stretches. And so that weighs on your mind when you try to go brag on a dog. And, you know, I've seen Con make 15, 16, 17 mulberry slicks in a row. I've seen him not want to go hunting in a cast because he don't want to be there. I've seen Duds just do the most ignorant things on the planet. And so it's hard to brag on a dog. If you see these guys that are bragging all the time about how great their dog is, they're not hunting them very hard because they're just not seeing them. If you hunt a dog long enough it's just gonna there's gonna be bad stretches where a dog just does not look like it should so i don't know i don't i hate i hate tooting a dog's horn because they're, they'll make you a liar every time oh yeah quick <laughs> so how do you like a dog to operate and why i like a dog that utilizes its skill set well uh you take when rain is at her best She's treeing coons every two or 300 yards that dogs can't smell. You know, she's laying coons up. She's hustling between trees, you know, and her tool kit that she has is she doesn't bark much on the ground, but she's really good about uh, treeing coons around dogs, behind dogs, and she's good in thick coons. And so when I get her in those areas, I like to see her use all that instead of taking time off or doing things like that. Duds, for instance, is one of the most talented track dogs I've ever seen go. I mean, this dog can move a track better than 99 out of 100 dogs I've ever hunted with. And so I want him hustling and moving around good and trying to find that track that he can finish quickly. Con's the best when, you know, he's just 
focused on tree and coons and his toolkit is that he's a great layup dog when he's hustling around and he's he's nailing them layup coons and that that's what i like to see but when you look at all that the and we've talked about this on the truth is it's just all heart you know these dogs they got to have so much heart and hustle and drive and if a dog doesn't have that then you don't have anything i don't care how talented they are you know a dog can have more talent than then a dog over here that that's beating and banging around and not going fast or not doing what he's supposed to. But if that dog keeps hustling when the other one wants to be lazy, then you're going to get beat. And in these hunts, it's such a fine line anymore, especially in the pro classics, because all these dogs are so good. And if you don't have one that, that uses every second, of, I got beaten the last five minutes by Riley Robertson the other night, you know, last five seconds you know he trees a coon with five seconds to go to beat me and if that dog isn't hustling and it it takes a minute off in that cast you know then he don't win that cast you know and he don't win twelve hundred dollars or something so it's just important when you ask how a dog operates we want them to play to their strength but they can't do that if they're not hustling and they and they don't have a lot of heart and a lot of go so that's the main thing anybody looks for i think in in the pkc circuit well, I think it's interesting how you said you don't necessarily have a particular type of dog that you like, but you like for that dog to use its abilities to the, or use its skills to the best of its ability, right? Yeah. Yes. And you got to know what your dog's strengths are. And unless you're honest with yourself as a handler and a trainer, you're not going to know that. Like Duds, for instance, he can't lay a coon up. I mean, I could put a coon in a tree, you know, and tying to it and if that coon don't come down he's not going to know it's there i mean he's just not that kind of dog he needs a track uh con is not the best track dog now he he can he can pick a coon out that hasn't been down in a few hours and have it you know so that's what i want him to do you know that you got to know where your dogs are good and where they're going to succeed you know bella was good where the coons were a little thinner you know she's not going to just go light up a scoreboard very often con's the same way and so you want them to do the things that they're good at and you don't want them to focus on the things that they're bad at. You know, I don't want Con sitting out in a cornfield and trying to push a coon out of it and tree him because that's not his game. That's not what he's good at. Uh, we don't want rain, you know, flying through the world and, and ambushing coons every mile and a half. You know, that's not her forte. That's not how she's going to succeed. So you want to know your dog and you want to know what they're good at. But also, you know, you just don't want to, you got to be honest with yourself of what they're bad at too, or you're never going to be able to, to do well with them. Well, I think that you articulated that extremely well as far as, you know, a lot of people, you say, well, how do you like a dog to operate? Well, I want it to be by itself and I want it to be a layup dog or I want to, you know, some people, mm -hmm. I want a dog that's going to take a cold track. Well, you just want that dog. If it's going to run a track, you want to run track to the best of its ability. And I think that that was yeah. I've never heard articulated that way, and that is really, really spot on. That's awesome. Well, I mean, when someone says, how do you want a dog to operate? Well, I want them to be perfect. I want them to be able to fly through and on a cold track and treat it like a hot. I want them to lay coons up. But, but dogs aren't perfect. Dogs are far from perfect. I mean, they've got so many holes. Even the great ones just have huge holes, the ones that I've seen. I mean, if you hunt with them hard enough, you're going to find out what those are. And so you got to play to your strength. And you got to do what the dog does well. And, you know, trying to keep them consistent is the best way. To, if you're going to try and keep them consistent, the best way to do it is keep 
you know, play into their strengths, you know, because they're not going to get better at something that they're not naturally good at. You know, that the, they're not a dog that can't run a track isn't just going to start running a track because you hunt him harder. You know, a dog that can't lay a tune up isn't going to treat more layup tunes just because you hunt them harder. You know, so yeah, they'll get better a little bit at certain things, but you just, you just want to know what your dog is good at, and that's what you want him to hustle around and do whenever you turn him loose. Yep, and you you hit the nail on the head there, bud. So if you could pick two judges, you know, a judge and a co-judge for the biggest cast of your life, who would they be and why? Oh, that is a good question. Good judges. Let me think. I would want... I'd want Nathan Guthrie to be my co-judge. And then I would want to turn a dog loose that goes 19 miles like Nathan Guthrie's dog does every time I judge her. So he has to walk with me and be miserable. Just like every time I have to walk to that freaking Spice Girl who's forever through the planet. So that would be my co-judge. And I don't care if he has to make a decision or not. I just want him there to where he can walk with me and, and write. And then... Uh, who is, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of good judges out there. I think my other one would be Jason Darty, just so, just so he could keep me humble. If my dog's looking good, Jason would just tell me how bad it is the whole time. And so that would, that would kind of keep me grounded. So I think that would be my pick and Jason Doherty and Nathan Guthrie. <laughs> All right. And that's some good reasons too. <laughs> <laughs> one of them so you could punish them. The other one so they could punish you. Exactly. Exactly. I think that'd be a good combo. And they're both pretty good dog, man. Yeah. I had to uh, judge Spice again the other night. She walked us forever. That's a good dog. I like that dog, but I like giving Nathan a hard time too. Yeah. So what are the top three dogs you've hunted with and why? That's a good question because some of them are so good at certain things that others aren't. And I've let it be known in the past, the best two hours I've ever seen was out of big country. It was amazing to watch, you know, one of the few times that, that I'd been wild and one, and the main reason I've never hunted the country again, I never want to, cause I don't want to see the dog make a mistake. He was amazing. So I got to go with big country first. Uh, second was X junior. Uh, X was one of the most talented dogs I've ever seen. And he had all that chrome and all the bells and whistles. Uh, he was just such a, he was just a good dog. I mean, that dog was just good and there's no way around it. And then, man, that's tough. Because, I mean, I've got a top 10, but top three, I got to say, I want to say Trader because Trader could look, I've never seen a dog that could look so bad going into a major event and then just turn a light on when you hauled him away from the house. And, and people that don't do what we do don't understand how rare that is. I mean, that is just dogs that are better when they are you know 12 hours from the house turn loose with three strange dogs are so rare i mean it just doesn't happen and trader was like that i mean trader was a good coon dog around the house too but he just had that something when you hauled him and so i would say those are probably my top three there's so many other good ones too ruby i like and, and 3d i loved and you know there's a bunch of them too that that I like and that I would be just super proud to own. 
and I like their owners and stuff like that. But as far as top three, I would have to go country X trader in that order. And I'm kind of glad you brought the trader dog up. So when I was, I was probably 15 or 16 then, but I remember mm-hmm. getting Coonhound bloodlines or American Cooner and seeing the devil's child stylish trader. Yeah. I thought that was the coolest dog ever. I thought he was hideous. That was the ugliest thing. Well, man <laughs> he might have he was he was so ugly he was cool but i mean i just like yeah. the page on him the i remember looking at it as a kid you know and being like yeah. man that is the coolest dog ever you know just being starstruck i don't know I, and i i did love your episode with john strickland yep about big country i'm sure that you got blew up about that you know afterwards we did we did yeah. Country is country's such a strange and Trader was the same way when Trader was was hunted hard. They were just controversial. And a lot of Trader stuff was because of Jed, but people don't understand how big Trader was. You know, there's big dogs and then there's Trader. Trader was ninety pounds. And Trader was a thin ninety pounds. It ain't like he was he was bulked up huge, you know. The dog the dog was long and leggy and stuff and so he had blue eyes that glowed a different color at night. You know, he was all white. He, he bit Jed like every tree that he handled him at. I mean, <laughs> the, dog, the dog was wild, and he was fun to hunt with, but he was different. I think that's why Trader got so much love that he got, not just because he was a good coon dog, because he was, but he was just so different. And I think country was kind of the same way. Here's this blue tick that comes out of nowhere. And, you know, we say he's out of nowhere because all of a sudden, you know, he's winning with, with Burkholder. And then all of a sudden, some guy from North Carolina's bought him for what is reported as pretty good money. And Wes is breeding one of the winningest, the winningest female of all time to him. And, you know, so he just kind of come out of nowhere and shocked the world. So he was different, too. And I think them, I think coon hunters are just drawn to something different. I really do. Yeah. And. You're probably right, to be honest with you. So, what's your most memorable cast and why? My most memorable cast is a no-brainer. It's when I got con in at Super Stakes. And I didn't, I mean, I've won casts that were worth way more casts. And, and you'll hear Jason talk about when he got his dog in at Super Stakes at his first hunt if, on, the, on our podcast. But taking a pup that is out of your own stock and raising it from six weeks old to, you know, a one-year-old where it can compete in the sophomore super stakes and to have it look like it did and to get in is, I don't care what anybody says, it is one of the greatest accomplishments at Kuna. I firmly believe that as a one-year-old, Con was the greatest one-year-old at the time. He was the best one-year-old on the planet. I don't care what anybody says. I know he didn't win super stakes, but he was. And a lot of people that could that hunted with him would tell you the same thing. But uh, we were in that cast. I had no luck on Monday. I had treed the fire out of coons on Tuesday early. I treed three coons and a den tree all by myself and still got beat. So I'm, I'm kind of bummed out. And on Wednesday comes around, and this dog should be in. This is a, such a good one-year-old. He was so polished. You know, at, at one-year-old, he's the same dog as he is now at six. And so uh, I come into Wednesday, and he trees two coons in the first hour early on the early round and, and everybody else had drawn minus and so they withdraw and they let me go into the late round and we're hunting along the lake over there at super stakes and it's 
cold, 41, 42 degrees, and the wind is blowing like crazy, and it's raining. Miserable night to be out, and the coons aren't moving. Nothing's, nothing good's happening. And Con is way off by himself, and he just needs a coon to win. Uh, some dogs had treated some circle trees. One dog had treated a coon but took some minus. Uh, he was an hour, which everybody that's hunted with Con knows that he don't say much on the ground. But he was an hour and eight minutes into that cast before he opened. Uh, he never said a word for an hour and eight minutes. And he was hunting. He was moving around. He was hustling pretty good. But he had went upwind, and we could hear him forever away. And he's got a big mouth, so that helped. But uh, we get to the end of this hunt, and I finally get him treated in with maybe 10 or 15 minutes to go. And he's way over a mile away. And all he needs is this coon to get in. And I walk and walk, and we walk some more, and we get to him, and he's in a den tree. And uh, I squall this coon out of a den, and he gets plussed up, and he gets in at super stakes. And that was still, I've won a lot more money. I think that cast paid like $1,200 or something, which is great money. I mean, that's a lot of money to a guy like me, and I was excited. But still, to get a, a dog in that you raised in at super stakes, you know, I, I remember every second of every cast i think during that run i mean that dog looked good all week other than monday and you know we we didn't win super stakes but the dog made a good showing and i turned down a lot of money for that dog after that but to do that and to get a dog in that you raised that is out of your own stock and all that stuff is just i don't know if it can be replicated other than winning it you know other than winning super stakes with your own dog or a world hunt or something like that i don't i don't see how it can be how it could be better yeah, that I mean that would be awesome. And even, you know, going back to your podcast with Jason on there, how he was saying that he felt like Super Stakes was his greatest accomplishment. You know? Yeah, I mean it's it's such a, and I never went to Super Stakes very often. I had never made any sense to me because I could go win more money with less entry and less fuss at somewhere else you know so i never went and and when i got con i decided to that was my first super stakes i'd never been to one but i knew i had a good dog and and i thought i could win and i honestly to be honest i thought i would go through there and breeze through that thing but people don't understood how to understand how good these one-year-olds at super stakes are i mean they're good uh it, it's hard to win that too just like it is anything so what's one cast that you wish wasn't memorable and why I'll tell you what, I was at my one and only CHKC cat, and I was hunting a dog called Fistful of Dollars. And I've been on record as to saying it, nobody gets cheated. It's so rare, and it is, because only twice it's happened to me in, you know, a long time. You know, I've, I've been in a lot of casts. I've been only cheated twice, and this was one of them. And I'll remember it forever because I was annihilating this cast. I was up over 600 points and i was at 425 i think the closest dog to me was 200 in the hole i think i was up six and a quarter and dollar had treed three coons and nothing else had they treat possums they treat slicks they'd left some trees these guys were circling some some uh, it was the first time i ever put a question on a card actually ever uh they circled just absolute gut slick trees and i cut dollar loose there was 14 minutes to go when i took dollar off his last coon and I cut him loose and walked us 30 seconds is what it was in CHKC. 
and I asked them if they were making me cut because there's no way they can catch me, and they say yes, all three of them. And when I turned Dollar loose, they all three jumped up and said they had seen me kicking, and I was scratched. <laughs> and it's a three-to-one vote, and there's nothing I can do about it, and I went home. Uh, that was the most memorable cast that I wish I would never participated in in my life. That's the only time I think out of I've never been cheated that bad until then, and I haven't been cheated that bad since. But they got together and decided that I wasn't winning the cast, and there's nothing they can do about it. So that's what they did. Dang that that is that is messed up right there. <laughs> and CHKC had had the world uh, by the you know what. And we're really making a dent, and God bless them. They just let the inmates run the asylum, and this is that was the result. You know, you had instances like that where people were getting cheated, and they just quit going. And that's one thing I give credit to PKC about is it is the professional kennel club, and they've treated these events so professionally that, you know, people feel safe and people feel comfortable, and that's why they, they succeeded where CHKC did. How long ago was that? That would have been, let's see, Dollar was a 10 model, and I think that was when he was a 4 or 5. That would have been 14 or 15, 2014 or 2015, one of those years. And it was down in Aurora, Kentucky, and that was my first and only CHKC cast ever. And I've heard you say this before, too, as far as people think they get cheated, but it's not cheating if you use the rules to your advantage. No, no I've done it. All these guys do it. Uh, we were just... I spent all week at La Plata, Missouri, a $2,500 entry, and every cast I was in was great. Uh, people used rules. Uh, that's what we do. We're professional handlers, and so you're going to get that. But no, it's, there's no cheating. There really isn't. It's so hard to cheat someone who knows what they're doing. and I mean, it's near impossible. And so you look at what PKC's done with all this money, and I try to tell people that the higher the entry fee, the less stress there is. And thank God for Finley for paying these entry fees and letting me go to these hunts because I haven't been to a $30 hunt in, I don't know, it's been a long time. And that's where the trouble's at. I mean, these guys, these guys are, are you're going to run into more trouble and fuss at a low entry hunt than you are a high. And I don't know why that is. Uh, but these guys at these high entry fee hunts, they don't cheat. They use the rules. Everybody knows them. Everybody knows their dogs. They've got good dogs. I mean, it's just, it's just a lot of fun. It's laid back and relaxed, and, and I'm thankful for it. Well, you're talking about the $30 hunts. I mean, do you think that's because experience as far as people, you know, you're not going to enter a $1,000 entry hunt, or you're not going to mm -hmm. pay for somebody's entry to enter a $1,000 entry hunt if you don't know what's going on. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. I know. I understand that. And you'd be surprised. Sometimes there is, but very rarely. But uh, a lot of it is... And Jed still goes to a lot of $30 hunts and stuff. And it's getting, you know, we're right here around the house. Everybody knows this. It's not a huge deal. But, uh, you know, some of these guys say if I go to a local UKC hunt or something like that and they see me as, oh, that's the Truth Podcast guy or that's the guy that, that's won all this money in PKC and we're going to beat his brains out and we're going to show him what a real coon dog is and they get mad when you show up and beat him or they try to cheat you. I mean, it's just, I don't know. I mean, people take they take things so seriously that they can't stand to lose and they can't maybe focus on what's really going on in front of them. If my dog looks bad, it just looks bad, you know, but some of these guys get really attached to their dog. And some of these guys, 
really want to beat somebody that's well known and so they'll do things that they shouldn't do or you know everybody just sees things differently so but i all i know is that i've had more trouble on entries from $15 to $50 than i have on $6500 entries and so and that's just the way it is the uh, the better the dogmen the better the hunt and the better dogmen are paying good money for entry fees I mean, that's just, that's just the world we live in. So I've heard Steve Fielder say it, you know, a man's ego is a heavy burden for a dog to bear. Mm -hmm. And it really is like you're saying, you know, you got to be real about yourself and your dog. Yeah. I mean, if you can't be honest with your dog, for one, you can't make it better. You have a breeding program where your dogs have a hole and you won't see it and you're not going to, you're going to, you're never going to be able to close that hole. I mean, it's just. I've known a lot of guys that fall in love with this dog and, and they don't want to see what it does wrong. Just like a parent with a kid where, where the kid comes home and he's been terrible at school, but they blame it on the teacher. You know, the same kind of people that are doing that are the same kind of people that, that think their dog doesn't ever lose or do anything wrong. Do you hunt UKC much? I should. Cause I like, I like the registry and I like the rules, but no, I do not. Last year when they came out with tournament champions, uh, I love that format, and I went and got duds. I don't know if I got him qualified if I ended up with four wins or something. I don't remember. You know, they're just, oh, they're so different. And it's not like I don't like the people that hunt UKC because I do. I know a lot of them. I'm, I'm friends with a lot of them, but it's just not the same. And it's not, I mean, it's just not the same level of competition. The best dogs aren't there until you get to you know, late in the tournament champions or late into the world hunt. And I have a hard time competing with some of these people early in the early in the process. And so I don't. And I and I know that's not good of me. I should support all houndsmen and I do, but it's just not fun for me. You know, I don't want to go to a local UKC hunt and spend fifteen dollars to hunt against two dogs that that aren't any good. And you're gonna run into that. These dogs those dogs aren't very good at these some of these smaller hunts and sometimes they are but not here and so i don't get anything out of it and it, it i'm a busy guy and so when i do go to a coon hunt i want it to be against the best of the best and that's when i go and and that's when i want to compete and so i don't i haven't competed much against in ukc now that said i hope everybody does um, UKC Trevor and Alan are great guys and it's a great organization and they, they have the best rules format and, you know, maybe my dogs aren't good enough to get to the level that I can be in the finals of the tournament of champions or something like that. And so maybe that's why I don't do it. I don't know, but it's just, it's just a different style of hunting. It's a different style of hunter and it's just not something that it's ever appealed to me here in the last decade or so. And, you know, you hear that a lot. People say, well, he's a PKC guy coming to the UKC hunts, or look at this UKC guy coming to the PKC hunts. You know what I mean? Yep. yep. And I really wish there wasn't that divide. I mean, around here, especially the local clubs, it's usually the same club holds PKC and UKC hunts. But right, you right. still, you get different people show up for the UKC hunts that don't show up for the PKC hunts. Most of the time, the people that show up for the PKC hunts still show up for the UKC hunts. But yeah. where the real divide comes is, when it comes from the UKC guys not showing up to the PKC hunts or whatever, you know what I mean? I just, I hate to see that, you know, like you said, we should support all houndsmen and registries. 
Yeah, and I do too, and I'm just as guilty of it as the guys that won't show up at the PKC hunts that hunt the UKC side. You know, I should be there, and I should be supporting the local club. Um, sometimes I'll guide for them. Uh, sometimes if they have a bigger event, you know, I'll try to go to it. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with only hunting PKC or UKC, I don't guess. But I, the only problem I get is when, and I've been guilty of this in the past too, and I'm really trying to fix that, is that I shouldn't talk down on guys that only hunt UKC. And the UKC guys shouldn't talk down on the guys that only hunt for money. I mean, we should, we're all one big happy family or we're supposed to be. And there's a lot of jealousy in the sport and a lot of misunderstandings, I think. You know, a lot of these guys don't understand that guys like me and, and Jed and, and Dustin Weed and, and Ward and Doherty and all these guys came from just super humble beginnings. We're not just rich guys out here spending crazy money on dogs and entry fees. That's not where we started, you know. And so, I don't know. I know there's a divide, and there's a divide between PKC and UKC, and I'm just as guilty of it as some. Uh, as far as the uh, the entering in the hunts and the participation, but we we got to quit running each other down for sure. Yeah, and and I agree one hundred percent. You know, UKC has really really stepped up. I'm mm-hmm. not sitting here tooting their horn or anything, but I mean, they've really answered the call in my opinion, yeah. and that's why I give them credit. I was watching their coverage of the of the UKC World Hunt last year. You know, they're on YouTube Live and they're doing commentary and they've done all this and they've changed the rules and they've they've done so much. Oh my gosh, Allen has done great and Trevor have done great. And they've came up with this Tournament of Champions format and they've got guys like my brother who's normally a PKC hunter driving all the way to Arkansas to go to a doubleheader so he can get his wins. You know, it's just they've done they're doing great. And I'm super happy for them and proud of them. And I love that that guys are skipping registries. And I wish, and I don't want to run Roger Dale and the people at PKC down because that's that's not what I'm about. I like them. They're great people. But I wish they would put forth that same effort, you know, that, you, that Alan is. I really do. I mean, it just seems like they've kind of stagnated. And so I don't want one registry or I could have 10. It wouldn't matter to me as long as there's somewhere for everybody to go. But, you know, these, these registries got to put forth a lot of effort to help us, you know, that we're the consumer. And so, uh, I, like you said, kudos to UKC for doing it because they've done great. They really have. I feel like PKC has an opportunity. They could do like a podcast, man. If a registry yep. would do like ProHound podcast, yeah. I think it'd be awesome. You know, they did away with the magazine, do a ProHound podcast. You know what I mean? Or or something you like getting that. Started on the magazine, yeah. And what they've done. I wanted to be on the cover of that <laughs> Pro Hound all my life, but I won't be able to get that chance. I've never been on the cover, but I don't know. And it's not that we don't like them. It's not that we don't like Roger Dale personally, or we don't like you know anybody Shane or any Jerry Mauld, and you know even though he's retired now, we don't. Like it. It's not like that. It's just that when I look at it, they could do so much more. And it's just like they refuse to. And there's no sense in any business, if it isn't growing, then it's declining. Yeah. And, you know, and, and people talk about coon hunting as a dying sport and coon hunting is, it's not. It is booming. Yeah. I mean, this is the golden age of raccoon hunting. We've got the, the Youth World Championship in PKC was a new record this year. More kids than ever. These are the youth. And they've got such an opportunity 
to get bigger, to get more members, to branch out, to do things like this, and they don't even freaking try. And it just makes me want to puke. And so kudos to Alan and Trevor and all the guys in the UKC that, that are expanding. You know, PKC needs to follow suit and do better. And I, me and Jed had talked about this on The Truth. And, you know, we're not, I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. They don't do enough, not nearly enough. And, and we could be growing right now instead of declining. Canine University is brought to you by Superior Light Company. Use coupon code CHUPODCAST at checkout at nighthunters.com. If you're in the market for a new light, do not overlook Superior. They make the best light in the business. The Hellcat Max Flat Dark Earth Edition is awesome. Comes standard with the new and improved high-intensity green laser. Comes standard with the newest design and dual walking light modules, offering the brightest walking lights currently available on the market, bar none. And it comes with your choice of red or true amber or double red color module technology. The Hellcat Max new module design reduces weight without sacrificing burn time or brightness, resulting in an overall weight of just 20 to 24 ounces, depending on your cap selection. The Hellcat Max offers the newest battery technology, which allows for five hours of continuous main beam burn time on the highest setting and over 10 hours of highest auxiliary light settings. All controls can be found on one easy nine positions click switch. And all superior lights come with a two-year warranty or are made right here in the USA. So check out superior lights. Use coupon code CHUPODCAST at checkout at nighthunters.com. Thank you to Mr. Jamie, Mr. Sam at Superior Lights for supporting Coonan University Podcast and making this podcast possible. So I ask all the listeners, if you could, please go over there and support Superior Lights. Use the exclusive discount code that is only available to Coonan University Podcast listeners, CHU Podcast. Superior, step up to the max. Now, back to the show. Yeah, and like when you watch the Tournament of Champions coverage by UKCN, if somebody's just flipping through YouTube and they flip on and see that, I mean, that looks so professional. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it looks like you're watching ESPN or something, you know? Yes, it was fantastic. I didn't get to watch enough of it. But, yeah, it was great. I mean, And we could do that. I mean, we're not we're not idiots. I mean, there's no. some smart food hunters out there. Even if you don't know how to do it, hire somebody that does and, and get out. Because it's, it's, we could mainstream hunting with hounds. Exactly, exactly. And this is the way to do it. No animals are harmed. You know, these coons aren't killed. So there's no huge animal rights activist issues. There's no, none of that, which, I mean, I don't care about that. But, I mean, you look at competition coon hunting. We're, we hunted for, there's three guys that won $20,000 a piece this week at La Plata. And they, they split the finals. They won twenty grand a piece. Congrats to Jake and uh, Rusty and Steve Ant, by the way. But uh, PKC didn't have anybody even there to help with the hunt. I mean, it was a huge hunt. In La Plata, Missouri, the greatest coon hunting you know, spot in the world, and there's nobody even there to help support it, let alone go live or to do a live play-by-play or anything. I mean, there was, there was no media coverage. There was the next morning at like 10 o'clock, they'd post the results on program, and that was it. It's, I, mean, I mean, it's disgusting. I feel your pain, you know, and, and I think when people say that coon hunting's dying, and I've said this before, it's like it's weird because, like you said, mm-hmm. in one way it is booming, and but what's dying is the traditional ways, and we have to break that chain and get that out of our mind because in order to survive, 
we're going to have to be able to adapt to yeah. the new world, you know? Yeah. There's, there's no wrong way to legally coon hunt. You know, if I'm a competition guy that won't turn a dog loose for less than a $6,500 entry, that's fine. That's fine. If I'm a, if I'm a, got an old walker dog tied in the back that only hunts for two minutes during coon season and has to see an eyeball in every single tree or it's no good, that's fine too. Yeah. You know, let's not, let's not, you know, argue amongst ourselves about the right way to coon hunt. There is no right way. There's no wrong way. There's just, there's just houndsmen. There's people that like their dogs and they like the sport. And then there's everybody else. It shouldn't be factioned and it shouldn't be, you know, you see these guys on social media that are, Oh, and I'm, you know, the only way to coon hunt is this, and these guys are ruining the sport, and that's not how you do it. And and there's no wrong way to do it. No, there's no wrong way. You just do what what makes you happy and, and enjoy the sport and support the sport, and then let the else let everything else just fall where it may. Yeah, and like you said, as long as you're doing it ethical, you know, yeah, there's exactly. no wrong way to do it. And there's no right you way to do it. Care, you take good care of your dogs. You enjoy the sport. You you can be a hide hunter. You can be a guy that loves to see 10 dogs under one tree. You can be a guy that, that hunts 70 hours a week. And, and if his dog ain't a dead loner, then, you know, he don't want it. And he's going to sell it for a hundred thousand dollars. Either one's fine. Those are all great. You know, keep it up, do what makes you happy. And, uh, you know, quit running down people that, that do it differently. Cause that doesn't make any sense and it doesn't help anybody. Yeah. And, you hit the nail on the head, but that's a good answer. Good job. Thanks. But so you speak a lot of truth, obviously, <laughs> what we just heard. I mean, you know, <laughs> how'd you come about doing the truth podcast? I mean, you were well known before that, but yeah, the, the truth podcast really has blown up. I mean, Houndsman XP, it, of course, was a huge podcast, yeah. but you know, it was luck. I mean, uh, when I had big show game calls and I was making squalors and, and I was doing more YouTube stuff and things like that, uh, Chris Powell, who's a great guy and a great friend and a, and a mentor as far as the podcasting stuff goes, uh, allowed me to be a guest on Houndsman XP. And then that kind of turned into a recurring role, you know, where I had been on two or three times and, and, you know, I was kind of starting to be part of the team and, uh, you know, I was just sitting here over a glass of bourbon one night and thinking, you know, and what had happened was I had listened to another hound hunting podcast and a man was on there talk. He, he was a man that raised uh, running dogs, coyote hounds, fox hounds. And he was talking about how competition coon hunting had ruined uh, coon dogs. And I was so frustrated and mad. And there, there's nothing farther from the truth. And I contacted Chris after I'd heard it. And I said, hey, I want to get out there and, and you know, put out what, what it's really like. You know, because these people don't understand that. That guy hadn't been to a competition hunt in his life. You know, he was probably just rambling on about something he read on Facebook or something. You know, I don't tell that guy how to, how to run his foxhounds or breed his coyote dogs because I don't know nothing about it. And so I was half angry and I had contacted Chris and said, we need to do something about that. And Chris said, you know, how about you just get your own segment? We'll call it the truth and you, you let the truth come out. And so that's kind of how it happened. 
thanks to Chris at Houndsman XP and these guys for giving me that platform. I, I really appreciate it, but it was really spurred on by just me wanting to get that out there because it's, it's what people say sometimes is so far from the truth that I wanted to actually speak the truth. Yeah. And that's awesome. I never, you know, yet never said that on the podcast as to why you did it. That That's pretty cool. Yeah. And that's a good reason too. Yeah. So what does it mean to you to be able to draw attention to the sport of coon hunting through that platform of the truth? I want to draw attention to, and it's selfish of me. I understand it's selfish of me, but I want to draw attention to the people that, that enjoy the sport the way I do. You know, I get guys that say, why don't you just go talk to a pup trainer or why don't you go talk? And we will someday, I'm sure. But my little niche my little section of the sport that I enjoy are competing against world-class hounds and world-class handlers. And that's what I like talking to and about and with and things like that. And so when you look at, you know, I want to draw positive attention. Yes. But I also want people to see what I'm seeing. And I, that's, that's a selfish way to look at things. You know, I realize that, but still these guys are, these guys are such good houndsmen and I've trained a lot of dogs. I've done protection dog, or I'm working on a protection dog. I've done retrievers. I've done pointing dogs. I've done beagles. I've done stock dogs. And nothing is harder to train and finish and get right than a competition coon hound. I don't care what anybody says. Bear dogs, lion dogs, as far as hounds goes, beagles, whatever. It is harder to get a dog to win consistently at the highest level than it is to get anything. And so that's a mountain that I always wanted to climb. And then I want people to see that the way I see it, which, like I said, I realize that's selfish, but that's why we're doing it. And I, I just want to, I just want to expose it. I don't think that's selfish at all. I mean, I think that you're still drawing a positive attention to coon hunting to that. And, and you're, you're reflecting that light on that side of coon hunting, you know? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I see that, but I also, you know, I don't want to be negative towards other S sections of it. And I don't want to ignore other sections, but I feel like that's being represented elsewhere. You know, uh, Chris does a regular, a great job on the Houndsman XP on the regular portion, on the Monday portion, the podcast guys like you that are doing your podcast and stuff like that, that, that are sometimes doing, you know, you done Tom Hopkins and you done guys like that, that have competition hunted a lot, but they're also breeders and, and trainers and stuff like that. So I feel like that's already out there. You know, so which is good, but I don't want to neglect one portion of the sport and focus on another. But selfishly, the part of the sport that I'm focusing on is what interests me most and what I know about most. And so that's what I like to talk about. Well, and from one podcaster to another, it sells. <laughs> that's right. People love famous dogs. I mean, from the YouTube channel, you know, to the podcast, people love famous dogs and famous handlers. They really do. I mean, this podcast would not be here still if it was not for Tom Hopkins talking about Lipper. I mean, yep. Yep. That, yep. that blew this, I mean, it just overnight just skyrocketed, right. you know. Right. I, and I, I personally, I kind of try to find myself, you know, between you and Mr. Steve. Mr. Steve's podcast, mm -hmm. he kind of just does the interesting people, you know. Yep. And, and you do more of all the big name guys. And I love both of them. Yep. So, I just kind of try to do a little bit of the interesting stuff and a little bit of the big name guys, you know? So I kind of put my, try to put myself in the middle, 
you know. There's just like coon hunting. There's no bad hound in the podcast. <laughs> you know, they're all great. I love Steve's, and you know, I love yours. I love all of them. Man, it's great. Uh, the more content we get out there, I don't care if it's through YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, podcasting, you name it, the better off we are. You know, like I said, we can mainstream this. You know, it, it's a wonderful sport, and it's full of such unique individuals that are great to look at and to concentrate on that. You know, I think I think there's a great opportunity there, and guys like you and Steve and me and and Chris, you know, we're just they're trying to do it. It ain't like we're, you know, just as well as I do. It ain't like we're gonna retire off this. You know, we're still gonna go to work tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I got so much money put in this, I ain't no way I can make any money back. I can promise you that. No exactly, exactly. You know, people don't realize what it's like from the outside looking in. We do it because we love sport. And we're trying to promote the sport. There's no other reason. I know I don't I don't know you that great. You know, we've been talking here and there, you know, but I'm guessing your reasons behind your podcast are the same as mine. We just we just wanna help. Yeah, and you know, your podcast is a lot like mine and, and how much Steve's is as far as it's not about us. No. You know, it's about the guest that's on yep. there. You know. Exactly. And to be honest with you, there's nobody that's gonna sit there and listen to me talk about a dog for an hour and a half because I don't really know that much about a dog. But, you know, if Joe Manning's over there talking about the world championship, people are going to listen to that, you know. Exactly. I mean, yep. that's just, I mean, it's the truth of it, and I'm perfectly fine with that. I'm, I don't have an ego, and I don't, I'm not arrogant enough to think the people listen to this podcast for to listen to me talk about my dog. You know, they just don't. We need to leave the egos out of it. Yeah. I look at what a guy's done and what he knows, and, you know, if, if I want to go learn how to drive a NASCAR, I'm going to go find a NASCAR driver. If I'm going to learn how to swim, I'm going to go ask a swimmer. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to ask Michael Phelps how to, how to start a young dog. <laughs> yeah. You know, we, we look at, they say, well, accomplishments don't mean anything or anything, but they do. You know, if I look at a guy that's consistently winning or I look at a guy that's consistently good at something and I want to learn that thing, I'm just going to go follow that guy. Because he obviously knows what he's doing. And, you know, it's the same way with with anything in life, but especially coon hunting. we got to quit thinking that these guys that win all the time are doing it by some means other than they're just really good at it. <laughs> no, they, they put in the time, you know. Yes. That's what people don't realize is, is the time that's put into these dogs. Mm-hmm. It's it's something else. And you know as much as I do, as well as I do, man, it's, it's time-consuming doing these podcasts. It is. It is. It's not something you can just put together in a heartbeat. Uh, I'm lucky that I don't have to do all my editing and stuff like that. They're, we got Chris to help me with that and other people, you know, Lauren and Seth and stuff. And so we got a team, you know, but a solo podcast like yours, I mean, that's hard to do. You know, I've got I've got a team behind me with Shorty and Seth and, and Chris and all them guys. So, you know, I, I can send the raw footage to them and, you know, let them deal with it. And so it's not yeah, I got it made. I can't complain about the podcast stuff because, uh, you know, I got a lot of guys behind me helping me and girls. Yeah. I mean, I have, you know, and, and I wouldn't be able to do this without people that have helped me either. Yeah. You know, I'm not necessarily on the, the you know, I edit it all and, and everything, but, you know, I got people that support me and people that, like Eddie Simmons. I mean, me and Machetti. Machetti has helped me get people on here he if it wasn't great. for him. He's just great. Oh, man, he is just an Could outstanding. Who couldn't like Eddie Simmons? 
We, if you don't like Eddie Simmons, you're a terrible human being. You That's are. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I, you know, he's from right around here. So me and him talk pretty much all, every day. You know, he's just a great individual. He really is. And still winning to this day at 62 years old, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Eddie loves yeah. Kuna. And he loves competition hunts, and he loves dogs, and that's that's what it takes. You're right. And if it wasn't for him and you know Chance Parker and all them helping me with this, I wouldn't be able to do it. There's no way. No. Right. No, you got to have a team behind you, even if it's your wife, kids, mother, daughter, you name it. You know, you got to have you got to have a support structure. And I'm lucky in in the hounds. You know, I've got my brother who I can who I can call on as a good coon hunter. Jed is my best friend. You know, I've got people behind me in the podcast. You know, and it's great. I, I've got great friends and great family, and I'm I'm really blessed for yep. it. Yep, and that's that's awesome, man. So, if if a person could pick up one thing from your podcast, what do you wish it would be? I wish they would just understand that. Uh, you know, we're all just folks, you know, and, and I know you look in the magazines, folks are just folks and dogs are just dogs. You know, you look in that magazine and I was the same way. I'd see, you talked about how you looked at Trader and I would look at dogs like Naylor and X Jr. And I'd think, man, alive, that's crazy. You know, they must be the greatest things on the planet. And, but, you know, when I, you look at Jason Doherty, who most people didn't know, and I got him on the podcast and he told his story. When you talk about, Jed used to have to steal his dad's truck to drive to UKC hunts and and Ward, you know, would would come home and his dad would be short of cash so he would sell the dog that Ward was hunting. And, and we're all just regular guys. You see us in the magazine, I know he won he won twenty thousand dollars this week. It must be nice. He's probably getting all his bills paid and you know, it's just our dogs are make mistakes and we make mistakes and we're just people and we all came from you know, pretty much the same place. You know, none of us were born rich. None of us were born with a silver spoon in our mouth. We, we worked hard and we struggled. And these guys that I interviewed for these hunts are, they're just like you and me. And, you know, we need to keep that in mind whenever we look at, at them and, and we look at their dogs and we look at all that they've accomplished, you know, and it's not that we should be jealous or that they got lucky or, or, or anything like that. We should aspire to work as hard as they did to get there. And I think that's what I would like to see people understand when I have someone like a Jason Doherty who's a national champion or like a Michael Ward who's won three trucks or something like that. Them guys worked hard to get there, and they got good at their craft, and now, you know, they're reaping the benefits of it. And I'm glad that you brought that up because, you know, when I started this, I thought that too, you know, especially like back to mm-hmm. Tom Hopkins. He's the one that pops my head the most, you know. I'm thinking, man, this guy – is this polarizing figure within coon hunting, right? I mean, owned houses, lipper, one of the most controversial dogs of all time. He's just a regular guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? That, oh, yeah. And that, that was something that's kind of yep. shocked me is all these people that I've talked to, they're just regular people, you know? They're not celebrities. Yeah. I mean, I guess they are within coon hunting, but not not in their minds. You know what I mean? They don't have these the, – they're not arrogant. They don't have these egos, you know? I mean, some of them are. That's okay. Uh, too. Well, none of them that I've <laughs> talked to personally. Maybe that's maybe that's why yeah, I hadn't talked right. to them because they didn't mess me back. But, <laughs> but, but and and yeah, you go back to somebody like like Mr. Eddie Simmons, whom I've heard you talk about on your podcast, how he's won 
you know, been in all these casts, and he still acts like a, a kid when he's in a cast. You know, that's awesome. Yeah. You know, people like that. Oh, yeah. uh, and that's the type of people that are in coon hunting that people don't re- – or that are in competition coon hunting that they don't realize because they don't see that other side of those people. Oh, no. When you see Kurt Aaron get wound up when Whitey trees a coon in a cast, just like he did – 25 years ago the last time or one time when i drew him with some old plot dog or, or black and tan dog when it treated I, it's just and kurt's a special case he's wound up all the time anyway but you know there's there's so many people and figures and you know unless you're there and you're around them and you're friends with them, you don't know what their story is or nothing like that so if we can get those stories out there i'm all for it because these are just guys you know they're guys that have that are good at what they do and i've always been a fan i mean i'm a tom brady fan i'm a i'm a new york yankees fan i'm a i'm an albert Pujols. i love greatness you know if you're great at something it appeals to me because i understand the effort that it takes that i can't put in you know i can't put in the effort to be as good as some of these guys you know and, and the fact that they do it and they can be so singularly focused on something and be great at it is just astounding to me and i I'm, and i've always been a fan of something like that and we should always celebrate greatness we shouldn't try to knock it down and knock it back and get it back to our level we should celebrate dogs like meltdown or dogs like z or ruby or things that, that they just do amazing things or country you know that we shouldn't try to knock them down onto our level you know we ought to appreciate the greatness and we ought to appreciate you know what we got in front of us instead of trying to trying to berate it you know like you said even if you're not a fan of tom brady you should appreciate the greatness if you're not a fan of meltdown or whoever you should appreciate it yeah exactly i don't see why you preach why you're a yankees fan if you appreciate greatness though (laughs) (laughs) i mean i'm a yankees fan because not so much now but when george steinbrenner would do anything to win a world championship I'm not a Yankees fan as much yeah. as I was a Steinbrenner fan. I'm I'm a Cardinals fan. I okay. like the St. Louis okay. Cardinals. That's a little better. But but uh, yeah. But as far as like greatness, you know, man, what Steinbrenner just said, just just whatever it would take, yeah. I appreciated that for sure. So, Josh, who's had the greatest impact on your hunting career, and why? Um, as far as the career. I got to say Jed, I got I mean, I hate giving Jed much credit because we're such good friends and speaking of ego, gee whiz, that guy got one, but, uh, I love him. He's my brother. You know, he's my best friend. And if I need help, I know he's going to be there, but he's had the greatest. Cause if it wasn't for Jed, I wouldn't have been it, you know, these pro classics or I wouldn't have some of these dogs to handle. Don't get me wrong. I raise good dogs too. I do. But I don't have the opportunity to take one of these dogs. And, and Jed, when Duds was a three-year-old or a four-year-old, he hadn't won nothing. You know, this was a behind-the-barn coon dog that hadn't been to any hunts. And Jed bought half of him, you know, under a tree one night and bred one of the winningest females at the time to him, you know, that hadn't won a thing and allowed me to get con and allowed me to do some of the things you know so i gotta thank jed as far as the coon hunting part of it the competition side of it if it wasn't for him i wouldn't even be doing this podcast you know i wouldn't have won you know all the pro classics that i was casting the pro classics that i've won i wouldn't have been at the world hunt i wouldn't have done these things probably if it wasn't for him and then uh, i gotta thank my brother too because 
I don't know if you've got a brother, but when he's good at something, I want to be better. And so Jeremy took a dog's, he's taken, had great dogs. I wanted better dogs. And so we don't, you know, we love each other and we don't hunt very often together or nothing like that, but we, we compete against each other like brothers do. And so, you know, those are probably the two influences as far as, as coon hunting goes that have impacted me the most. It's the competitive streak with my brother and, you know, wanting to be better than him and, and, you know, the help from Jed to allow me to do it really. Yeah. And that, that's awesome. You know, you know, a lot like me, as far as coming up, you know, I mean, I, I've done come to the realization that due to my job, you know, I'm probably never going to be able to own a great coon dog by myself because I'm gone for two weeks out of the month. So, and people, I don't know about you, but I know me, like I don't have, yeah, I make good money. My wife makes good money, but I don't have the financial to pay six, $500 for an entry, you know? And you talking about right? Yeah, well, I don't. Either. And you talking about having somebody to do that? I mean, that's a huge impact, you know. And a lot of people, they they misconstrue that as oh, he's got a backer, or, oh, he's just got a money man. Well, I'll tell you what, those guys like Jed or Ike Rainey or John Strickland or Ashley Guthrie or Ashley Oxendine, they're not paying sixty five hundred dollar entries and giving their dog mm-hmm. to just anybody. You got to be good at what you're doing. You know, I don't think I'm a great handler. I don't think I'm, but I know I know dogs. And I know what dogs I can win with and I know how they operate. And, and I like to think that I know how maybe, you know, and I get humbled sometimes just like everybody does and everybody should. But, uh, you know, usually you give me a pretty good dog. I'm going to win my fair share. Uh, I'm not going to make a, a bunch of mistakes with them. Uh, I know what kind of takes that I want to win with. And, and Jed had those. And so kudos to him for seeing that, and I've gave him some success and I've gave him some, some failures, but I mean, you know, those guys, if you, if you're really good, here's one thing I wanted to express. And I try to express it on, on my show as well is if you're really good and you put forth the effort, someone's going to see it, you know, someone's going to notice that and someone's going to give you the opportunities that I've got and that, that other people have got because they see that you're a good dog man and you're a good handler and you love the sport and you know what you're doing they're going to see it. And so my advice is always just put in the effort and don't get bitter and, and keep your head down. Cause there's going to be a lot of times that you you think you failed and you didn't, you know, it just hasn't happened yet. And so, you know, I, a lot of credit is given to the guys that back these handlers and that back and pay their bills and do things. But a lot of credit's given to the handlers too, because if they weren't good at it, they wouldn't have that opportunity in the first place. Yeah what you just said that doesn't go for just coon hunting that goes for life the cream always rises to the top that is one thing that i've found my whole life no matter what the cream is always going to rise to the top the best are always going to be noticed whether they they and they don't have to get out there and and voice it you know no no you don't have to be on facebook talking about how good your dog is if you take some hunts someone's going to notice that without you saying a word so josh what is the truth behind Josh McCalus? Uh, I don't know. I'm brutally honest. Uh, if I don't like your dog, I'm going to tell you. If I don't like you, I'm probably going to tell you. And I think that translates well to some people, and it doesn't translate to others. The truth is that we're all just regular people, me included. You know, I live in a normal place. I have normal money. I have normal work ethic and normal dogs and we're just, you know, I got a couple kids that I wonder if they're normal sometimes, but I think they are. 
And so, you know, it's just people think because we have a platform or because we're in a situation or because we're at a hunt that, that they can't afford to go to or something that we're something different than them and we're not. And so I just want to express that the truth is your dog's probably not as good as you think it is. And I'm just a regular guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Well, if my name's good as I think it is, I might as well take him and sell it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. And some people, some people like me and you and Darty, you know, sometimes we we look at the bad more than we do the good, but that's just part of it. And I think those people have better dogs. You know, I really yeah. do. Well, I look at mine sometimes. And I just think, man, I I wonder if everybody else is doing the same thing I am right now. Because that, if they ain't, this ain't no fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. And sometimes no, it ain't not. fun. And you know as well as I do that there's there's days and there's weeks and there's months where it's no, just not. Fun. It isn't. I mean, if you want to get to a certain point, you got to grind yeah. through it. And kudos to the people that do go have fun every night, you know, and that's part of it. Yeah. Are, are you jealous of yes, them like I, I am? am? Like you see them guys with a couple, four or five red bones and one coon that they finally treat in six hours, you know, and they think, oh, we had a great hunt tonight. Yeah, and they're all excited. I, I, and, it's, and I'm thinking, man, them guys have it. I hope they never competition because yep, they got it. You're pay. right. They really do. They're just enjoy, yeah, they're just enjoying the sport and their dogs. And you know what? I, I may go out and and tree eight or nine coons in a row, and the dog looks fantastic. And then he does something completely ridiculous, and I'm that's what I stew on, you know, and that's what I focus on. And so yeah, I mean, some of them I'm jealous of some of them pleasure hunters. I really yep. am. Man, Josh, I do. I can't thank you enough for coming on here, man. I think it's gonna be awesome. I know people are gonna love it. Hey, I enjoyed it. I did too. I enjoyed it, it. It's awesome, and I I think people's gonna like seeing or hearing this side. You know, you on the other side. I know you've been on Houndsman XP a couple times, but I I think it's awesome. Yeah. So, anything else you'd like to add before we sign off, or anyone you like to shout out, or anything like that? I know. I just. I mean, I thank you for even. I'm humbled. You know, people don't understand that. You know, you know when I call a a, a guy that I've idolized that has has done a lot of winning or something like that and they're excited to be on my podcast. I'm just like, wow, you know, that's crazy. People don't understand that, you know, we're all just, we're just as excited to be recognized as, as anybody else, you know, and just like some guy that has a good coon dog and you, and you say, man, that's a nice dog. He gets that feeling, you know, and it's the same way for everybody. I mean, I'm excited and, and humbled that you asked me, you know, it's just, it's cool that, that we're out there and we have this platform and, you know, like I said, we're all just people. And I'm I'm happy to be on here just like you're happy to have me. Yep, and I think it's awesome. And like you you said, it, it really it really is awesome when you ask someone to be on your podcast or whatever, and they do. They say, "Man, I'd be honored to do it." And you're like, "Honored? Yeah. You know, you're honored oh, to be." Yeah. I mean, it's like, man. Yeah. I mean, like you said, you idolize these people, and they say you're they're honored to be on your podcast. Like Joe Manning, right. that was he's real humble. He was real humble when I asked him, and I was like, man, you just won a world championship, and you're honored to be, you know. Yep. I remember when we done we the YouTube channel had done the head to head with Lane Denny and Kevin Cable, and it was Lane's idea, and I thought Kevin's never going to do that. Man, he's out here with Bank. He's just coming off the world hunt. It, it, this ain't gonna pay him nothing you know i'll pay his gas but that's it i'm thinking kevin's never gonna do that he's never gonna go for it i'm surprised lane even wanted to do it either and kevin never even missed a beat you bet be out there whenever and i thought wow you know that that is something 
you know, here I am with two world champions and two guys that meet me at my house to hunt with them. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that was kind of the beginning of, you know, these guys, you know, they're, they're just people. And you are absolutely correct. And I'm glad that you, that you brought that up. I mean, that's yep. awesome. But Josh, I do thank you for coming on here, man. I thank you for your time. I know you're busy and, Hey, I, I appreciate you having me. Like I said, just like Joe, I'm humbled. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I hear you. Well, I'm humbled to be able to do it, and it's been an honor. really has, and I'm a fan of the truth. And a lot of my listeners are fans of the truth, too, because when you drop a big episode and they enjoy it, they text me and tell me about yep. it, which I've already heard it because I listened to them, you know, first thing. But right. I do appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for coming on here. Hey, I appreciate you having me. And, hey, you're doing a great job, too. Keep doing what you're doing. I enjoy your episodes just as much as you enjoy mine. Yes, sir. Well, you're doing an outstanding job as well. Thank you, buddy. I'll holler at you later. All right. Thanks, All right, Tyler. Bye. I really hope you all enjoyed that interview as much as I did. If you like what you heard here, go on over to Facebook. Give us a like, at Coon Hunting You. Also, go to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and a review. It really helps us out. And remember, if you need a new hunting light, do not overlook Superior. They make an awesome light, best customer service in the business. Man, their walking light and double red is the brightest I've ever seen. Use coupon code CHUPODCAST at checkout at nighthunters.com. You can find the link in the description box below this. Coon Hunting University is a product of Audio Hound Productions. Until next time, y'all have a wonderful day.